in three, two, one. Today's marketplace is crowded and chaotic. Differentiating yourself and your organization in a sea of sameness can be challenging. If you're looking for innovative and practical strategies to create more value and opportunities while shortening your sales cycle, then you're going to enjoy my conversation with author, speaker, and coach, Ron Carr. Well, hi, Ron. Welcome to the podcast. We're delighted to have you. Thank you, Michael. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, where are we speaking to you from today? We're coming to you from Boynton Beach, Florida, where it's nice and sunny and 80 degrees. How about you? Oh, boy. Well, I'm up in the Great White North in our Calgary studio, but the air's fresh, so it's dry and fresh. Now, I notice there's a little bit of an East Coast accent there in New Jersey, New York. Both. I grew up in Washington Heights in Manhattan, and when I was 13, we moved to Bergen County, and I lived there for the next 52 years before I moved to Boynton Beach two years ago. Excellent. Now, as far as the starting point goes, we're here today to talk about the Velocity Mindset and your latest book project, and you've been in the, the business for three and a half decades working with sales organizations, but let's go backwards just a little bit. How did we get to where we are today? I went to Skidmore College, Saratoga Springs. I thought I wanted to be a doctor. It was just the life of a doctor that I was mesmerized by. The signs didn't exactly appeal to me. So then I went into business and I got on the dean's list and the rest is history. I started selling in the School of Hard Knocks, selling copiers. And uh, that I got a lot of my chops from. And then I went into the computer industry for about 10 years in both sales and management and then started this business. It was actually a family tragedy that led to me starting my business. By 1988, I had a father who was terminally ill and my mother who was a world-renowned economist ahead of her time, senior vice president of Chase. She traveled the world and she had help from my father, but she didn't deal with the issues in her mindset, if you will. She passed out of the wheel of the car one day and she wound up with third degree burns on 30% of her body. She took down a Porsche dealership and I had my father near death. So when you have two parents near death, all of a sudden, you start getting very clear as to what's important to you in life. And what was important to me at that time, I was in a job that didn't make sense. So I challenged my EVP and he basically funded me to go into my own business because oh, he believed excellent. in me. And that's how I started this training slash consulting slash speaking business. That's certainly great training, great background, selling copiers and all kinds of things. You get to learn and because these are commodity products, you had all the Pitney Bowes, the Minolta's, the Konica's, the Canons and everything else. And there was a great sales training background. That was a great place to start. And that's probably where you launched your career as well. Now, you had some good success with your earlier book. I think it was your first book, Lead, Sell or Get Out of the Way. Yeah, that was actually my fourth book. I wrote three other books before that, including The Complete Idiot's Guide to Great Customer Service. The lead seller get out of the way was the book before the velocity mindset. Yeah. And it did really well. It was a bestseller. Well, that's because it resonates and there's yeah. good strategies and tactics. And you tell great stories and lots of good anecdotes. Now you've been involved with the profession of selling for, like I say, a number of years. How have you seen the pandemic change things? We've noticed things changing prior to the pandemic, the way it was sold and things were sold. And it's like the pandemic just opened up a whole new world and changed the game dramatically. What have you noticed? So I'm on retainer with companies trying to grow certain levels. And I work with the sales team, the C-suite and all that. And we've been using Zoom for the last 15, 10 years, because one of the things I kept saying, Zoom was a great tool before the pandemic. It allowed you to even it out. For example, so many people do proposals and they email it. Yeah. And I go, are you nuts? <laughs> 
Why are you doing that? You're missing the opportunity to see how your information is being received. If you could just look at them, see if they're raising their eyebrows, see where they're going to. And why would you email it if you don't even have a chance to go over it? We would teach them how to do an executive summary for the proposal and then how to present it in a way that was interactive. And so at the end of the day, it wasn't really a proposal. It was a path forward that they were coming to an agreement on. So Zoom was a powerful tool that we've used before the pandemic. Now I feel like the world's finally caught up to us, which is great because it is a tremendous business tool. But now I start asking myself, are we using it too much? Interesting. Um, I'm still being looked at to come in and present keynotes at organizations that I thought would finally go back to in-person meetings, big companies, but they're still doing remotes. And I think remotes is okay, but you still lose a level of contact and connectivity than when people are together for a certain period at a time. I think the pandemic has changed the way we look at business. It's also made it harder for CEOs to go out there and hire people because no one's willing to put up with some of the things they put up with before the pandemic. It's interesting to figure out where did all these people go? If we all had a great resignation, you know, but we do know that people's tempers are short these days and they're not going to stay if they're not happy or if they don't feel fulfilled or if they don't feel like there's a path forward for them. So these are all things that everybody always had to do, but now it's even more important for CEOs to pay attention to this because it's just hard to keep your existing talent. Yeah, there's a lot of movement. I read an article in Fast Company one time called Free Agent Nation, and it really is. So I'm glad for the salesperson. I'm glad for that person who's no longer just a commodity. They get to choose the companies they get to work for. You know, you make a good point on Zoom. The technology's evolved and a lot of people are Zoomed out, but I find that different audiences is where that matters. Like first meetings are obviously really nice. And I know you work in mastermind groups with CEOs and leaders. They typically favor Zoom meetings because they don't have to hop on an airplane. Like if I come to see you in Florida, I got to get a taxi to the airport and pay taxes and the fee. I got to go through the airport security. I've got to pay taxes every step of the way. And there goes two, three days of my life for two, three hour meeting, where if we've already got a relationship established, we can hop on a call just like we're doing now. And the key in my mind is to make those engaging. So how can we out zoom our competitors? What can we bring into it? So some of the things which we're teaching now are using other apps that can then add some and enhance things because most people do zoom very poorly. Their lighting's bad, their sound is bad. And so it's still viable, but people still love that connection on that one to one. And I think there's a time place for that, but I think it's evolved. I'm in agreement with you. And then as far as finding new people, it's a tough challenge. And now companies are trying to, how do we not just find them, but how do we keep them? How do we retain them? Do you think that has anything to do with the traditional ways in which they've done things? Like you talk about this, many companies continue to sell with traditional methods and you outline this in your book. Why are they so slow to evolve in their processes? Because those are the processes they grew up with, the leaders, and it's hard for them to change unless they are feeling some kind of pain or that's forcing them to go through the pain of change. So if this worked for me and it keeps working, why upset the apple cart? Right. That's the biggest reason. I want to go back to the Zoom thing you talked about because I do agree with you. There's a value in a first meeting to be on Zoom. That's tremendous. But one limitation Zoom has is on the vulnerability that you need when you want to increase your skill set. Like when I do the Chief Revenue Officer Mastermind Group, when we started it in 2012, these CEOs and VPs of sales met three times a year. They came for, it was basically a week. We had a golf outing, we had speakers, we had hot seats and everything. 
But they build such an amazing connection in that room over dinner, over drinks, that when they came back for the second meeting, the first thing they did in the hotel lobby was they started hugging each other. You're not getting that on Zoom. You're not going to do that on Zoom, no. All right. I'm not talking about the hugging. I'm talking about that feeling of connectivity. Yeah. So if you have any meeting where you're trying to get them to open up and be vulnerable, I would prefer that in a face-to-face if it's available versus a Zoom. That's an excellent point. Obviously, if you can meet them in person, it just what allows you to do that. And with today's marketplace, we can expand our territories too. We're not just limited to a, a location. So first and foremost, go meet with them if you can. And embracing that vulnerability that you get from those one-on-ones, I think is huge. So the CRO today is a hybrid because you're right. They don't want to like pre-pandemic spend three weeks. So we went to all Zoom while everybody couldn't travel. And then once the travel opened up, they said, we want to meet again. So now we decided on one meeting a year. We'll make that a big thing towards the beginning of the year to get them all connected. And they may meet a second time, but then the rest of it is virtual Zoom. Prior to the pandemic and when you and I were building our careers, it was easy to go see one buyer or a decision maker and we could get in front of that decision maker and I could come in and I could discuss the product, the needs, all of the traditional things which we talk about. We have five generations of buyers out there now. It seems like everything's done by consensus and you can't just go find that one person. I just can't come and find Ron Carr and go talk to him, Ron, make the decision. It's tougher. There seems to be a team and sometimes it's gaining access to those team members to make that work. Is that what you you're fine? Is that what you're saying as well? Yeah, that started in the 90s. And I think in the 80s, there was still autocratic management from the top down, then it got decentralized. And then in the 90s, you had a new breed of CEOs who started coming out and saying, look, I can force people to do it, but they're not really going to be doing it. Their heart's not into it. So they knew that they can't keep telling people what to do. They want them to be vested in the decision. So they start having them involved and they want them to make the decision because they have to execute on it. And that's been a transition since the 90s. And it's real. There is no CEO today or very few CEOs that are going to force themselves on some people. They're going to say, tell me what you think we need to do. And if the way they come up with the solution bucks the CEO, then the CEO has got to make a decision. Do I let them go and fail on their ideas? It's their ideas that vested in it. Or do I say, no, it's not going to work. You need to do it this way. I think there's a happy medium in the middle where you get the person you're trying to coach come to the realization themselves that it may not work. But if all you do is tell them it's not going to work and you don't have them figure it out for themselves, you're not doing your job to coach them up in their executive abilities. That makes sense. You teach a methodology in your velocity mindset that kind of offers more modern approach basically to eliminate along those lines, eliminate the resistance, gain buy-in and achieve better results quicker, faster. Talk a little bit about that methodology, if you will. Sure. I was president of the National Speakers Association. After that, I had a series of back surgeries that put me down for a couple of years, came back. And while I was down for those two, three years and on opiates, trying to deal with all the mega pain, you start thinking about your life. And I was turning 60 around that time. And you start looking at things you accomplished, things you didn't accomplish. And you start asking yourself, why didn't I accomplish these things? And it all came down to a couple of things. One, we tend to tell ourselves stories. So whenever someone says something to us or does something to us, we create a story as to what we think that means. 
And I don't know what the statistical number is, but I can guarantee you more often than not, we're wrong. Because it's our emotions that create the story. It's how we're being triggered. And if we believe that story, we become victims to it. So I put an example of the copier when I was selling copiers. When I was hired by Royal Business Machines, which got sold to Konica, it was at the time in 1980 when they came out with the first plain bond copier. No more liquid to soil your clothes and everything. And they were seducing me on the crisp, beautiful printed copy. It can only do 15 copies a minute, but look how crisp and beautiful it is. And I say, what about the cola? Don't worry, in six months, what about the duplicator? Six months. So I had one copier. 15 copies a minute to go and compete against the big machine of Xerox on the third floor. So I go into my first few calls in the first couple of months saying I'm selling a copy. And they say, can you do what the third floor does? And I go, no. And they say, well, come back when you can. Michael, after having the door hit me in the butt a few too many times and it started hurting, I decided to have a board meeting with myself. We talk about that, me, myself, and I. And where do you go for a board meeting in New Jersey? The diner. So I took myself to the diner and I said, okay, what's the issue? And I started telling myself the story. Oh, I suck. I can't sell myself out of a paper hat. No one even gives me the time of day. And I said, okay, who wrote the story? I did. Well, if you don't like it, you can rewrite it. So let's rewrite it. Not responding to you in the conversation. What are you talking about? Copiers. What is a copier? What is the outcome? Well, it's a communication vehicle. Maybe I should start that way and see what happens. So in the next call, I go into the office manager and I say, would you agree with me that a copy is nothing more than a communication vehicle? And she goes, absolutely. And so when it comes to that, what are your biggest challenges? And Michael is like, I was the therapist and she was laying on my couch. Can we talk? She goes, I got Sally or Bob has to get up from the first floor to make one copy. By the time they walk to the staircase, they're chit-chatting with everybody. They go upstairs and then there's a big line of all these huge jobs, 100 copies, 500 copies. Then they get to make their one copy. Then they do the return trip and they chit-chat all the way back to the desk. Mm. I said, how long does that take? She goes, try the equivalent of two hours. I said, how often does it happen? She goes, try the equivalent of two full-time employees. Wow. And I said, how would you like them back? And she goes, how are you going to do that? I said, I'm not going to do anything, but I'm not competing against that big machine on the third floor. It's a great machine. Keep it. I'm here to fill in your gaps. You should be buying not one of these machines. You should be buying three of them. One for every floor. So when Sally or Bob needs that one copy, they don't have to go upstairs. They don't have to wait online. They go straight to that machine on their floor, make the copy, they're back at work, and she bought three units that day. Great positioning. What changed? Me. I changed the conversation. I changed the story in my head. What was coming up while I was on those opiates, I was realizing time's getting short. You're in the back nine. You don't have all this time left. You better start getting some velocity. And I started looking at the concept of velocity. And when you hear the word velocity, Michael, what's the first word or the main word that comes to your mind? Speed. Exactly. And that's not velocity. If that's all we think it is, then we'll have burnout. How many times have we been married to our to-do list? And we're going through it the whole day and we're so exhausted at the end that we got them all checked off, but we're disappointed because we didn't move the needle forward. No direction. No direction. So velocity is speed with direction. Yeah. Direction's important because it's what we will hold up our tasks to see if they're valid or not. Without direction, we'll be doing a lot of tasks that don't make sense, like having a conversation about a copier when I'm competing against the third floor and I'm not getting into what a copy really does to where I can differentiate myself. 
This episode is sponsored in part by Rainmaker Digital Solutions, featuring ActiveCampaign. Looking to drive growth with customer experience automation? ActiveCampaign, the number one marketing automation platform for e-commerce, B2C and B2B companies, gives you the email marketing, marketing automation, and CRM tools you need to create incredible customer experiences. ActiveCampaign is the platform we use to reach, nurture, convert, and grow our business, and you can use it to grow yours. You can see why 150,000 plus businesses like yours choose ActiveCampaign to help them grow and become preferred in the markets they serve. You can also start your free trial by visiting our website and clicking on the ActiveCampaign trial link. As a bonus, we'll also give you a digital copy of my book, Becoming Preferred, How to Outsell the Competition. And in the interest of full disclosure, I am a shareholder in the company. And now back to my conversation with Ron Carr. You talk about that in chapter five of your book, you talk about focus and that there's so many distractions, how we maintain our focus. And that's the principle of velocity. We've got direction. And I love how you characterize it in the book too. And with your symbology in the book, I think you do a great job of that. Thank so you. It's not just speed. It's also direction, but you're no stranger to limited mindsets. If you don't mind, as a child, I know you overcame a challenge of a speech impediment. Talk about that just a little bit, because obviously that was one of your first challenges that maybe became a catalyst for you to understand and how to do that. We see it in our current president. He has had a speech impediment and every once in a while it pops up, but hey, not a big deal. So was that your first look at changing the story. I'm not going to be a victim. I'm not going to be sucked into this. Yeah, because when I was in high school, I mean, I was made fun of, which is a polite way of saying I was bullied a lot. Because first of all, this impediment was the inability to enunciate the letter R. So why would they name that condition with a word that starts with the letter R? R. They called it roticism. All I can call it was oticism. So people would ask me, what is it? I can't even tell them what the situation is. And then on top of that, I was blessed with the name Ron Carr. So I have a name that I can't even enunciate because I can't enunciate the letter R. So it was not a good time. And the ribbing was mercilessly and it it just, the pain was too great. So eventually I said, I got to do something. So I went to the speech pathologist in school and she started a little lesson with me and she had my tongue going in ways that didn't feel comfortable and sounds coming out that I didn't understand. I got so upset. I stormed out of there after 45 minutes and said, I'm not doing this because that was more painful than dealing with the impediment. So I went back to my life and then the bullying kept going and the stories kept piling up. And I said, okay, look, there's only one person who can change it and it's you. So if you don't like it, what do you want? I don't want the impediment. So you're willing to do what it takes to do it. So I found this speech pathologist in New York and she said that to me. She goes, look, is there hope? Yes, but it's not going to happen if you just come here once a week and rely on that. You got to do this every day. And when you fall down, you got to pick yourself up. Do you have what it takes? Because it could take you two years. It could take you one year. And when I finally made that commitment and put those stories aside, that's when I got to the real work. And that's when we got rid of that impediment. And that's when I got rid of the biggest story holding me back in my life. And I was free to move on. What stories are holding your listeners back? Is there a CEO who stopped at 20 million or 30 million and then been stuck there for 20 or five years and they're building a story that's all the market will support so there's nothing else we can do? Yeah, we have our market share, this is it. Yeah, or are we looking at how we're looking at it? It's a different way of looking at it 
that can help you get to a different result like it did in that copy or story. So the bottom line was when I was going through those back surgeries, I realized that the reason we don't have velocity in our lives, the biggest reason is ourselves. How do we work with ourselves to free up that velocity? So we talk about the stories, we talk about how do we get better alignment with our customers, meaning that alignment, meaning that we are creating a safe environment with them so that they wanna have a conversation with us. Many times we do not create a safe environment. And so what I mean by that is you have to anticipate the future. So if I'm doing a cold call or if I'm even coming into your office because we have an established meeting, I'm fighting for your attention in that meeting because of all the other things that came up for you today that you had to deal with, all your problems. Right. And so right there, your cortisol is not in a position to have a conversation. It's too high. Talk in depth about the hormones. I thought that was really interesting to have that in your book. Yeah, because we simplified the neuroscience that proved it. But if you don't understand that as a leader, influencer, or CEO, a salesperson, if you don't understand that your first job is to create a safe environment, then no matter what conversation you're having with an employee or a customer, it's not going to go the way you want it to. Excellent point. So an example is I was brought in by a major financial services company. They knew their markets. They have one-person offices because they want conservative investors who don't trade every day so the one-man offices can support it, you know, so they'll meet with them once a quarter and so forth. And they also knew the numbers. It took five calls to get a new investor on board. They wanted to reduce it. They knew that's what gave them velocity. So they cold-called on some of their customers at that time. This is about 20 years ago. I went cold-calling with them in outside Chicago. And their market it was the retirees. So what did the guy do? We go into a retiree's home. There's a nice husband and wife, Midwestern couple. And for the first 12 minutes, he's trying to build the social relationship. Pictures of the bears on the wall. It was a bad game. Pictures of the grandkids on the wall. Tell me about all your grandkids. And I can see them rolling their eyes. What is going on? And so we get out of there and I say, look, they probably have a stockbroker already. So if you start going to the how you can help them, they're not going to listen to you. You got to go to the outcome straight. And it's not about the friendship. They have friends already. They don't need you for a friendship. They want to know why you're in their house. So do the chit chat for two minutes or less. And then say to them, look, I want to explain to you why I'm here, but it involves a really important question. Do you mind if I ask it to you? And they'll say, go ahead. And here's the question. When it comes to your future, what are the three things you want your money to provide for you? They'll get that answer because everybody is fighting over where they want to go. They're struggling with it. So they'll say college education for the kids, they'll say retirement and whatever, which means that now they're starting to trust you, which means oxytocin is being released because that's the trust hormone. So what was the change that I had that person do? I had him go from building the social relationship and talking about what he does to which they already think they have a solution to going where are they trying to get to. Right. And when he asked that question, I saw them raising their eyebrows up like this. And I'm going, wow, there was a change in the mind. Now, this is before we got the neuroscience, but we started doing in all their prospects and they're all looking up. And then the neuroscience came out and I realized what was happening. They changed their blood chemistry right then and there with that one question. Because think about it, the cortisol is high. You're trying to come in and sell something. What are they trying to do? Protect themselves from buying something they don't need. And so all of a sudden, you're trying to sell them on it, the cortisol goes up higher. 
But if you understand that in advance and say, that's not my job, my job is to go in there and have them start talking about the gaps and where they're trying to go. I'm going to have a much better conversation. And so I do this as a role play on stage. And then when they ask that one question, I'll ask the person who was being interviewed that was playing the customer, there was a change in your brain at that time, wasn't there? And he goes, yeah. Or she'll go, yes. What was it? And they're telling the audience right then and there. It was like, I wasn't thinking about them selling me anything. I was thinking about where I wanted to go. And the funny thing is, they describe it as they were giving me all these solutions And I'm saying, but they didn't tell you anything. They just asked you one question. And they give you all the insights that you need in order to confirm that business or determine if it's the right kind of a client for you or not. That's really powerful, Ron. So go back for a second to that copier story. I needed the collator. I needed the duplicator. But that's if only I was going to sell against that machine on the third floor. If I didn't have it, what business did I have selling against that machine? The only way I sold that slow 15 copy a minute machine was by finding out about outcomes that they were after, the gaps that they couldn't meet with the existing solution and how this was going to fill those gaps. It's beautiful. No, the outcomes, the linkage with the hormones is fascinating. And we're familiar with it, but we're always thinking of it in terms of just our health and our living, but not in the sales situation. And years ago, I went through a strategic coach with Dan Sullivan. Yeah. And Dan's got a great question that he asked that is my first question. So if I met with you, just to your point on this, as an executive, the first thing I do is come in, shake hands, a little rapport building for a minute or so. And then I'm going to say, hey, quick time check. Are we good for 20 minutes, 30 minutes, whatever? And then I might say to you, first of all, thank you for the consideration. Thank you for the meeting. I'm not sure we're a fit for you. That's why I'm here. So I want to back off a little bit. So I give them an out right away off the bat, which relaxes them. I say, I have a question for you. Mind if I ask and ask permission? They always say yes. And I say, I want you to go three years out from today. So I want you to go into three years from today's date. I want you to look back at the last three years. What needs to occur for you and your organization to be happy about your progress? Yeah, that's a great question. And there's only three answers. And the three answers are, number one, I don't know, which tells me they're not forward-thinking or visionary, right? Number two, none of your business, which twice I've had that happen. And I just stand up, phone my book, and said, that makes it easy. We're done. And they said, well, I don't understand. Did I offend you? And I said, oh, no, I asked that question because there's only three answers. Number one, you don't know. Number two, you don't trust me, which I believe in relationships of trust, so let's quit now. Or number three, you're going to tell me. And the reason I want to know is we will bring all of the resources to bear of our organization, if we're capable, to help you achieve that goal and objective. Now, Michael, you said only two people had an issue. Out of how many did you ask that question? Hundreds. And both of them actually sat down and said, go ahead, sit down. And they still told me. And I still closed them. Yeah, exactly. But the point is your biggest fear of asking that question and that story, no one's going to tell me, it's a fear. Most of them will tell you want because it's about them, not about you. Let's hit the amygdala, right? And that's where our hormones get released and things. So the triggering of those hormones, that's why when I came across that chapter in your book, I thought, why is this in here? Like it should be in psychology or in health, but it absolutely makes sense. Let's look at one of my retainer clients. You know, I have this example in the book too, when you're trying to change the behavior of an employee. So this production worker was on his cell phone. The manager was pissed because he was behind and forcing everybody else in the production line to be behind. So he goes in and he goes, get off the damn cell phone. He attacks the person. And what does the person do? Defend himself. Why do I have to do it? Everybody else is on a cell phone. And he got so upset that he just walked away. I said, how well did that serve you? So we role played it. He was that guy and I was him. I gave him the same answers and he stopped me. He goes, 
I wouldn't even suggest to myself too, given the way you're doing this. I said, okay, what do we know about him? What is he trying to achieve as a worker? He wants to be a master welder. What do you need? Quality and timeliness. How's his quality? Perfect. That's why we love him. How's his timeliness? Oh, he's behind on this one job that's forcing all of us to be behind. So forget the cell phone, I said. That's not the issue. You go back to him and say, you want to be a master welder, right? And he's going to say, yeah. What are the two things you need? And he did this. And the guy said it. Quality and timeliness. He goes, your quality is great. That's why we love you. You're 20 minutes behind on this one job. How do we get you back on target so you become that master welder you want to be in two years? And all of a sudden, the guy starts giving ideas of what he could do differently. What changed? He was talking about where that guy wants to go, the motivation, and why it was important to him. And he started figuring it out for himself. So to all your CEOs who feel they always have to tell people what to do and how to do it, that's not velocity. Velocity is for you to sit back and see how they think. And then what part of that thinking do you have to help them with? Correct. Yeah. In order for them to become self-proficient and productive the way you want to. If not, they're only productive because of you and they depend on you and then you can replicate that business. Yeah, it's not scalable. It's not well, you're talking about mindset. And you talk in great depth in your book about the mindsets and how important it is. When we talk to audiences, I always ask audiences, I'll ask them to be honest. And how many business books do you read a year? These are professionals, right? And I'm amazed at how many they'll say one or two. And I say, if I wanted to test you, I'll say, what was the last book you read? And what did you get from it? And I said, I won't go there with you. But most people, it's zero, it's one, it's two. And they're in a profession. And yet they fail to read or to you know learn more things. And, and I believe personally that we need to protect our confidence and our mindsets, everything. And you learned that at a very early age and and do that. How important do you feel mindset is to our success? And how do we get it? How do we get the right mindset if we're in a slump or we're stuck in this negativity? Okay, great big question that's composed of smaller questions. So we're going to unpack that. Um, Number one, how to prevent yourself from going down a rabbit hole is not to become the victim of the emotions of the story you created for yourself. Let me say that again. Yeah. One of the ways to avoid going down a rabbit hole is not to become your own victim of the story you wrote. What you should be doing is concentrating on what you want to create, the outcome. That's what I did when I paused and I had that board meeting with myself in the diner. I could have easily said in the beginning of that conversation, they're not buying for me. And I could have easily agreed to myself, yeah, you suck. Maybe you should get a new job and all that. And I stopped myself and I said, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. They're not buying just because of why. Because they compare me to the Xerox. Okay, so what else do they need that they don't have from that Xerox? That became the next logical question. And I was thinking about it, and I had no idea, but it's about communications. Let me ask them. And I hit the mother load, right? Sometimes you don't have the answers up front. Right. But you have to try something new. So we talked about direction. What is the goal that they're trying to accomplish. That determines your task. So to break it down to a sales rep, sales rep is saying to me, hey, I've been working so hard to get to this prospect, they're critical to me. I said, great, what's your goal? I'm gonna close the deal. It's your first appointment? Yeah. And what's your sales cycle? Five calls. So let me see if I get this straight. You're going into the first call with the goal to close the deal. Yeah, I. Right. you're gonna lose the deal because all you're gonna do is close, 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 talk, 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 and you're not gonna ask any questions. To me, an effective goal for that first call is to qualify whether you're both good for each other and then to create a path forward of what has to happen for him to say yes. That's going to lead to a different set of actions because in order to find out what's it going to take and what the gaps are, you got to ask questions. Can't trial close, can't 
talk about everything you do. In order to find out the gaps, you got to ask questions. In order to find out what the impacts are on this business, you got to ask questions. In order to get a path forward that you both agree on, you got to ask questions. It's funny. I trademarked the question man early on in my career because I knew that the answers to our success line of questions we asked. And I did a lot of work with Hertz Equipment Rental, which is part of Hertz. And Bud Howard was a VP of sales. We became lifelong friends. I said, Bud, would you do a video testimonial for me? This is in the 90s. He goes, sure. Took 13 takes because he kept calling me the answer man. I said, Bud, it's the question, man. He goes, I know, but even though you teach us how to ask the questions, we get the answers all of that time. So that's why he always thinks that I'm their answer man, because I'm helping them get to the answers. You can't get to the answers if you don't ask the right question. What's interesting, you know, I've been a student of this for almost four decades and now I'm dating myself, but I love the richness. And you talk about this in your book, in the last chapter of your book, that you wish you knew what you know now and what you've been teaching back when you were starting. Me too. I've read the book and I'd encourage our listeners, get the book, get them all because you really address them and you can see that evolution of your profession and the skills and strategies because that evolution is inside those five books of yours. Really interesting. And, and if people want to enhance their careers, you've just shared with them a formula that works like an absolute charm. I always tell them the purpose of the first meeting is is really just to get to the second meeting. All right, what's that going to look like? What's that exploratory going to look like? You can't just show up and throw up and we get into the proverbial feature dump in the old way. And we're seeing this dysfunction in selling, which has created a dysfunctional buying process. So you talk about differentiation and how do we differentiate ourselves? This is a great example of how to differentiate ourselves and stand out from the crowd so that we can become that trusted advisor, if you will. We're not just a salesperson hawking a product or a service. We can actually go in and Covey said it best, I think, in his fifth habit. We seek first to understand the situation. Then we seek to be understood. So we don't tell them about our solutions till we even know what the problems were. So that's that prescription. Right. Before so let, let me give you an example of how I think about what you just said in my own business. Yeah. All right. So we had the pandemic. All speaking went virtual. Now it's a hybrid, virtual, in-person, but everybody's doing the same thing to sell themselves. All my competitors, they're setting links to their scissor reels. Right. And I'm saying there's no differentiation. Even though my scissor reel has been proven to be one of the best anybody's ever seen, the question is, will they see it? Because it's the 10th link that they got. Right. All right. So there are companies that do this. They create these video brochures. So I figured, yeah. you know what? I'm going to put my scissor reel on this. I'm going to have comments from my satisfied clients, the picture of the velocity mindset. And why am I doing this? I don't have to send this. I could send this at 50 bucks a pop, but why am I doing it? Because I want this on their desk with my picture looking at them, with my video looking at them. So when they have to make that decision, I'm already at the top of their conscious mindset because they don't have to go find the link. And no one else is on that valuable property of the desk because no one else is doing the same thing I'm doing. That's the mindset we need. And once you come up with something like this, as my friend Dan Burns says in his first book 30 years ago, Yeah. the moment you come up with something new, consider it obsolete because people are going to reinvent it. So that's the mindset we need to have on a daily basis. How do I separate myself? And then once I come up with something, what's the next thing? Because someone else is going to copy it. It's so exciting to see that, A, you can have a successful career, and I know you're a long way from quitting. So, I want my mind to be strong. If I quit, you don't use it, you lose it. 
I remember being in Orlando back when Augmentino, back when the National Speakers Association was having an event in Orlando, and I had a chance to meet and hang out with Augmentino for just a little bit. And he was always a hero of mine. He wrote The Greatest Salesman in the World, and I know you know Aug. And here he's 82, and he was still going at it. Ziegler, oh, some of the greats, right? And you're definitely one of those greats, and you're so relevant. And the part I love the most, and that's inspiring for me, is your relevance. And you've been doing this a long time. And it's not, okay, this is just old stuff. It's old school. This is as current and as appropriate and relevant today as it ever has been. And it's because of the evolution of your experience and that insight and wisdom that you've contained in your book, you've generously contained in your book, as put it there, is a textbook on really how to position yourselves and pardon our term, but to become the preferred provider in the market you serve. One of the biggest lessons I learned for your CEO, you can want to share your experience with your people all you want, but until they live through it, they're not going to listen. They have to experience it. So think about creating experiences that will allow them to live through what you're trying to share with them versus just telling them. Because until they experience, it won't happen. And I get this with my daughter. We all have kids. You know, you have children. We talked about I have a 29-year-old daughter. I want to protect her because I don't want her making the same mistakes. Good luck to me. Because every time I try to sit there and say, I did this, but it didn't work, she's not listening. No. I can relate to this. Because she says, I know better. Yeah. So until she experiences it, in her own way, once they experience it, you can say the same thing. It has a whole different meaning. So the point for your CEOs is simple. Create experiences. Stop telling them how you did it. Create experiences for them to feel it, see it, and understand it. Powerful. If you want to learn how to create value and opportunities while shortening the sales cycle, you want to eliminate the resistance, gain buy-in, and achieve better results faster, the book's The Velocity Mindset. The author is Ron Carr, K-A-R-R, and the website is roncar.com. And Ron will have everything in the show notes for people to get hold of you and to be able to get the book. Visit the website. They can sign up for newsletters. We've got lots of great tips and things that you send out on a regular basis. Thank you so much for being our guest and sharing some of that insight and wisdom. It's exciting for me, and so I know if it's exciting for me, it's going to be amazing for our listeners. So thanks so much for being here. This podcast is created and associated with Summit Media. My executive producer is Beth Smith and director of research, Tori Smith. The fee for the show is that you share it with friends when you find something useful or interesting. This podcast is subject to copyright by Summit Media. Goodbye.